This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Michael Chazen, a Canadian archaeologist from the University of Toronto, digs into an incredible discovery he and his team made in Africa. How about this? A discovery of 1.8 million years in the making. The oldest evidence of humans found in a cave ever. That long ago. It's an amazing story and the love affair of archaeology and how it impacts all the things that we do today and some of the things that we see today and take for granted that could be deeply involved in history. It's coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. Blaine Kylo is on the show. We talk about Apple's new stuff. Also, tracking you, not so much. Tracking your things, absolutely. And are you okay with grenades and sticking things up your nose? Are you okay? We share some stories. You tell us what you think about them. And, uh, well, really, that's it. Let's get the, uh, let's get the first clip here, Brendan. Now, lads, each of you will be given the opportunity to ignite and throw a grenade. I will personally be supervising each of you to make sure you don't blow your eyes out or something. All right, who's first? Don't do that. What is that? I don't know that. Jojo Rabbit. It's one of it's, it's an amazing movie where a kid accidentally throws a grenade at his feet. He's okay, but great okay. movie. Are you okay? Are you okay with hand grenades? Uh no. No. I don't like anything that destroys. I like it in the movies when they catch them and throw them back. Yeah, and in video games, when you get a successful, like, reverse in Call of Duty, when you pick, yeah, I think grenades are cool. I mean, like, obviously, no, from the destroying things, but also, explosions are cool. (laughs) Yeah, I like them in video games, okay. In video games, not so much real life. Uh, Is that a hand grenade, or are you just happy to see someone playing a prank on the bomb squad? Police in Germany say a report of an unexploded hand grenade from the Second World War, which is probably a serious thing over there, ended up being nothing more than a novelty sex toy, (laughs) really, in a bizarre (laughs) incident that played out in a Bavarian forest near Paso. Passau, probably. Don't know how to pronounce that. A jogger initially called police to report a hand grenade in a bag on Monday. The jogger found the bag in the woods, but seemingly failed to mention there were also several condoms and lubricant also in the bag with the bomb. Um, yeah, I, that's forgivable. <laughs> yeah. You're panicking. Right? You see that? You're panicking. Grenade, that's your top priority. That's your top priority. You're not like, hey, free rubbers. Like, you're not. Um, the report immediately provoked a visit from the police bomb squad who are accustomed to finding and disposing of lost munitions left over from the Second World War. Crews showed up at the scene, quickly discovered that the object was not a grenade, but rather a rubber sex toy shaped to look like one. Okay. Um, police say the condoms and lubricant helped inform their hypothesis that it was a sex toy. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's like there's someone on the bomb crew. He's like, oh, no, that's sex toy. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Oh, good one. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> uh, police 
Uh, no, they later conducted some official police research on the Internet and confirmed their suspicions. There actually are sex toys in the form of hand grenades. Who knew? Well, that story got explosive. That is uncomfortable to talk about. Wow. That's a funny, but it is a real problem. In in Berlin, uh, a couple of years ago, they had to evacuate like 30,000 people because they found a massive bomb underground. Uh, so yeah. it's it's no joke over there. Uh, but that was a joke. That was great. Oh, the bombs yeah. are problems, not the sex toys. Right. No, I mean, yeah. might be plenty of those too. But Well, they, they also don't evacuate 30,000 people when they find a giant <laughs> sex toy on the ground. Maybe they do. Yeah. Who knows? Okay, I'm going to move on before we make this weird. Every time we talk about sex, yep. it gets awkward. Are you okay? <laughs> Three dudes on the radio talking about a grenade sex toy. It's just it's a whole new level of <laughs> my radio career. I got to tell you. Oh, my God. Are you okay? Are you okay with beachfront living? Yeah. Yeah, why not? I love the nope. ocean sunset. Yeah. Yeah. Why no, Ryan? What's going on? I would never. Because my house would probably get destroyed in five years when the ocean rises and my house is swept away. Yeah. <laughs> Some positive thinking there. <laughs> no, nope. I've watched too many documentaries. I, if I'm on a mountain overlooking the ocean, now that's a different story. I'd love that. What about rock Beach? slides? You're not afraid of rock slides? Probably more common than the earth rising enough to bury your mm. house. Also, I don't love sand. It's rough. It's irritating. It gets everywhere. Whoa. Wow. That's a really, that's a Star Wars reference. <laughs> Sorry uh. that I just pulled out of my back pocket. <laughs> but with the ocean rise, you might be beachfront property soon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the way to Calgary. Yeah. I'm on the riverfront right. anyway. After more than 30 years of calling the small Italian island of Budeli home, Moro Morandi is being forced to, I missed the thing. Play, can we play the, the clip? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's play, play the, the clip. clip. Okay. Gonna, Wait, we gotta read oh, the we gotta read the intro oh. first. What about living in the wilderness too? Dwight and I are going out. <laughs> he will return later, but I will not. I will also be taking a personal day tomorrow, and perhaps the next day. Do you want me to ask where you're going? No. Great. Dwight will be driving me deep into the Pennsylvania wilderness, oh. where he will then leave me to either die or to survive. The choice is yours. Okay. There you um, go. You got it. This particular story is going over much like a hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After more than 30 years of calling this small Italian island of Budeli home, Moro Morandi is being forced to leave. It has pink sand. You still hate sand if it's pink? No, that's cool. That's cool. So this dude, uh, Moro, is 81. He's been a caretaker of the island since 1989. So the Guardian reported uh, that year he stopped on Budeli on his way home from the South Pacific in a catamaran, and it broke down. So he stopped on the island, and he just kind of stayed. They needed a caretaker. He was retiring. He's like, hand up, pick me, coach, put me in the game. So now he's decided to leave after five years of being threatened with eviction by local authorities. It turns out... The island's private ownership went bankrupt, and the land eventually became public. National Park authorities are trying to kick him out, and he's moving out, and he's moved to another place close by that's outside the city, 
and says his life is going to be kind of the same, but not the same. He gave up. I hope that someone can protect it as well as I have. Can you imagine that life mm. being a caretaker of a private island for those all those years? By yourself living? That must be amazing. And yeah. you, I watched, I, I really wish that we had audio in English because I watched a couple of interviews he did and he was speaking from a place of love and genuine sorrow that he was had to leave his island. Like it was so sad. So 1989, he moved there. It has pink sand. And he lived on the beach. I'm assuming it's stunningly beautiful. And by himself. So that's like living in COVID with pink sand and a beach. Yeah, it sounds like my dream, to be honest. Like that, mm. that right there is something I feel like I need to accomplish. Life goals. Yeah. That's a sad story. I can't imagine that. 30 years and then all of a sudden it's like, see you later, buddy. Time to go. I mean, like, can you imagine how annoying your neighbors would be <laughs> when you move to the city? That would suck. Are you okay? Are you okay with sneezing? Part two? Not on the bus, but everywhere else, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think building off of what we had last time when we talked about sneezing and are you okay? When it's necessary, preferably not in public, especially because I'm a loud sneezer. And sneezing in a mask is gross anyway. Yeah, it oh, is. It's, yeah. oh, it's so bad. It is. Burping in a mask is worse, though. <laughs> All right. Sometimes you need to sneeze for a very good reason. This is very much true for three-year-old McKenna. Somehow she got gum stuck up her nose, and this is her trying to get it out. Why is your gum in your nose? How to get in your nose? Did you put it in there? Where does gum go? In your mouth, right. It doesn't go in your nose. Now how's daddy gonna get that out? I don't know. What are we gonna do? Here we go. You go. <laughs> oh man! All right, that's not going back in your. No, no, no. Let me have that. Thank you. <laughs> that's adorable. What a nice dad, first of all. Mm -hmm. um, she almost did put it back in her mouth, which was the funny part. Yeah. Um, have you ever stuck anything up your nose when you are a kid, Jared? Have that? I had nosebleeds every other day when I was a kid. So yeah, I had that too. Tissue. Yeah. Yeah. I stuck a feather up my nose once when I was a kid. Oh. Like yeah. how I was far? trying to, I was like, like the cartoons, right? Oh, yeah. Tickly uh, nose. But then I inhaled and I brain. lost it. And I always wondered when I was growing up, I'm like, like where where did that go? Where did Don't you have sinus the, problems? Do you think I that do. all leads back to that time you accidentally a kid? inhaled a feather? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if I went oh. to the doctor and they're like, Hey, we got this feather on your x ray? Um Yeah, had any idea how they got there? No. 
Do you ever listen to the radio? <laughs> Don't listen to the show. <laughs> wah, wah. Oh, my goodness. 877-399-9898. Uh, don't stick things up your nose. Unless you're going to be super cute like that little girl. And she got a pretty cool dad. This is the Shift Podcast. And now for something completely different. Four, three, two, one. Yes! Here on The Shift, we like to talk about Canadians who do cool things. I would never have thought that this is the kind of level of cool thing that Canadians do. Not because Canadians are bad in any way. I'm just curious how this idea gets started. Um, What is this idea? Canadians finding things maybe the oldest of all the things. Michael Chazen joins us here on The Shift. Michael, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you. So um, when, when you were a young person, I got to ask you, like some people say, I want to be the best in band, like the trombone. And some people say, I want to be the best in math and I want to be the fastest at the sprint. Did you say, I want to find the oldest stuff ever? Like, how did this get started for you in this science curiosity little realm that you've taken on and become, you know, possibly setting some records here? Well, thanks, and thanks for having me here. You know, I've had way too much time to think about life over the past year. Um, So I've thought quite a bit about this. And no, you know, when I was a kid, this was not my thing. Um, And I never imagined that I'd spend a good part of my life in South Africa. That certainly wasn't on the agenda. I guess the, the I was always drawn. I spent a number of years in Archaea in Israel as a child, mm-hmm. and there, you know, the past is just visceral. You just feel it everywhere, and that somehow meant a lot to me. Um, so, so that's part of it. But what I find is a lot of the students I talk to today have a lot of life plans. And that's not really the way things have worked out for me. You know, opportunities came up at a certain point. They got me interested. They got me motivated. And um, I took different directions based on where those opportunities and kind of inspirations took me. I've been unbelievably lucky to work with uh, incredible people over the years who took me in directions I never would have thought of, you know? And um, so, no, it wasn't really one of these, hey, I've got this all planned out from age 10 upwards. Yeah. Um, It's more life kind of develops. And certainly getting to South Africa was not, not a direct route. Michael Chazen is a part of a group that has found uh, evidence of human activity Possibly, and now please correct me because this is not my lane at all, Michael. So if I do get it wrong, I, I happily accept your corrections. That possibly the oldest human activity that has ever been found. Is there a credential? Like, is it archaeology? Are you an archaeologist? Like, what is what is your your formal title? So I'm the, I'm, I'm, I was born in the States, but now I'm Canadian. So modesty is now my acquired trait. <laughs> have to say it's not. So we found the earliest evidence of human activity in a cave. There are stone tools going back 
to about two and a half and maybe 3.2 million years ago. And we mm-hmm. only go back around 1.8 million years. Only. So I will <laughs> say that. Forgivable. Um, yeah, no, I'm an archaeologist and, and I come to this. So what's kind of interesting about this work that's very different than my normal picture of archaeology is that, you know, when you watch a lot of TV shows about archaeology and whatnot, there's this heroic person who does everything, you know, there's Mm -hmm. like this guy in a hat walking across the desert. Um, That's not the way it really works. It's all about um, interdisciplinary work. It's people from different countries. It's very international and very particular skill sets. So my skill set is I study artifacts. I'm really fascinated by the objects that humans make and use, whether that's, uh, you know, two million years ago or yesterday. You know, I'm really drawn to the question of how the physical things that we bring into our lives, in a sense, make us who we are. So that's my area of work. So I, I'm, I'm very much an archaeologist, but I work with paleontologists, geophysicists, physicists, geologists, botanists, you name it, because everybody brings their own perspective to the table. Sounds like one heck of a party when you all get together. <laughs> it, it actually, it's, it's a nerd party, <laughs> you know, but... I mean, field work is great, you know, in that, and I really miss it, you know, all of us, you know, so we were enabled to go out last year and this year, it looks much the same. And um, I don't like going away from home and I'm actually very fearful of flying, but I, I love this kind of sense of being with people who are incredibly smart, but each in their own way and that you're all bringing your piece to the table. And yeah, it is, it's really great. Um, The other thing, you know, if I can just go for a second is the other part of field work that I always try to emphasize is we have this picture of archeologists as people going to places and just kind of ripping stuff out of the ground and carrying it home. And that's not really what archeology span is today. Uh, As much as we're interested in learning about the deep past. And as much as we're incredibly closeted people, kind of with a very kind of uh, tunnel vision, we've really learned that archaeology takes place in the present. And much of the power of what we do is the contemporary context, the, the communities that we live with and engage with, and the importance of these places and the past to those communities. So that kind of community engagement, we call it, in South Africa has been incredibly rewarding and, and interesting. So it's, it's kind of a great um, way of working and that you're pulled in two directions to the deep past. But also I've learned a tremendous amount about the contemporary world from this work. You bring up a piece, um, Spoiler alert, uh, the radio guy, also a nerd, loves words, so that shouldn't be a shocker to you. Um, A piece of writing that I just wrote a couple of days ago, which seems like an appropriate time to share it from what you just said, was no two nows are ever the same. 
And that seems incredibly relevant in the work you're doing. When you find something from so long ago and it doesn't just have a story of that old now, it still has a story of now today. And so that must be an incredible lens to look at life under that this thing that you're either holding or looking at or you've unearthed really has a long history of now. And that's remarkable to me. Yeah, no, that's nice. No, I really like that because I mean, one of the things, you know, it's so obvious, but we don't do time travel. You know, I didn't go back, you know, we use things that exist today to make inferences about the past, you know, that we're so the strange thing about archaeology is that all of the work and all of the things that we study are in the here and now. And for a long time, that's been almost covered up. It's like, no, that shatters the illusion or something. But increasingly, archaeologists understand that, no, that's that part of the story is really, really interesting. So I did, we had an event two years ago now with a place in, there's a community group in the neighboring town of Kurman called the Workshop Kokasi, where it's younger people who have developed kind of an entrepreneurship around heritage. So we jointly developed a program where we were able to bring people out to the cave. And uh, we had music. Uh, we had drama performance in the cave as well. It's got big cave. So um, and we had about 50 people there, most of whom had never been there. And they have this kind of sense of a spiritual connection to the place. And there's a whole sense of history of their communities being pushed off the land um, under apartheid. Hmm. It just was incredibly powerful. So, but my job there is to study what I bring to the table is what I can see with, from the archaeologist perspective and what the members of the research team can bring to the table as well, which is all this kind of specialized knowledge and, and kind of analytical power, if you will. So tell us about the caves, because the work that you've done, or maybe what you've found that is most intriguing to you, because I'm guessing it's not summed up in, ah, oh, yeah, we found a screwdriver. So um, I'm guessing there's more to it. Is there, what did you find in this cave that was so old and that really impressed you? So, um, so this cave is big. So it, it goes back around 140 meters into the mountain. It kind of looks like a subway tunnel. It's quite kind of arched and large. And caves are interesting to archaeologists because they're places that collect sediment. You know, so basically anything that blows in stays there. Uh, whereas hilltops and other places, you know, stuff blows in, it blows out, and it's not. So it kind of becomes an archive. Um, now, in this cave, the sediment blows in very, very slowly. It's, you know, kind of like if you'd fill your bathtub with a drop of water every 10 minutes, you know, so it's incredibly slow. And as it's filling with the sand and, and silt, people have been coming in and leaving things behind. So 
what we find is that that building up of sediment, that filling of the of the cave floor, began about a, 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 almost two million years ago. And for that whole record, we don't have a continuous, people aren't there every day or every year or every decade even. But through time, we have all time periods of human experience represented. Huh. The, the earliest levels are a bit of a puzzle because I tend to think of early humans as very crude uh, kind of, uh, people, if you will, using big chopping tools and smashing things. Now, the tools we find in this earliest level are very simple to produce. They're not complex, but they're tiny. They're only about a centimeter to two centimeters in size. Oh, wow. And I honestly don't have a clue why they were making such small tools. Now, maybe it was the material they had available, but then what do you do? with something that's two centimeters long. And what really bothers me is how do you not lose it constantly? You know, we have to look really hard to find these bloody things. Yeah, right. But whatever they were doing with it had to do with butchering animals, processing meat, or processing plant foods. You know, that I think we have a pretty good handle on. Um, so that amazed me, but it was such a prosaic amazement when we're picking out these little tiny pieces. And given my skill set, I can identify the weight. These were made by people. And it still amazes me. I still don't understand it. So that was kind of one of the key things. Then there are all kinds of other things going on in this cave, each remarkable in its own way. And one of the, if I can just, I'll go on just for another minute, that at the very back of the cave, we have people about half a million years ago who are going 140 meters to the back of the cave. And they're carrying with them things like ochre, a red rich rock, and then a, a mineral of iron that leaves a speckly powder. They're not painting anything. This is long before any artwork. And it's just one of these great riddles. Why? What were they doing back there? Wow. And what drew them so far? And my students often talk about this. It just amazes them to be able to be standing in that same place, you know, kind of literally, you know, like you were saying with what you were writing, you know, they're standing in the same place today, experiencing the same sounds and color and light that people were half a million years ago. And all you can do is wonder what were they, what were they thinking? You know, yeah. it makes me wonder to think that half a million years later is someone going to be standing there looking at us, right. And saying, can you believe these people and what they buried? I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> History will tell Michael Chazen is with university of Toronto. He's an archeologist. He's part of a group that has uncovered, um, I guess, what's the summary? Is it safe to say a massive cave that has found the the oldest proof of humans doing human things in a cave that we know of? That was excellent. Yeah. That works. So is there anywhere in the world, Michael, that you could you would dream to go as an archaeologist? There's some such curious places for me that, um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be the oldest. I would just say, is there a uh, maybe a society 
of, of humans that you would be curious to dig into? That's really, you know, this year, that's a painful question. Yeah, that's probably unfair. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing because I travel a lot, but I tend to travel to relatively mundane places and stay there for a long time. So there are so many places that I've never been. You know, I mean, I've never been to South America, to Peru. I have a colleague, Ed Swenson, who excavates in Peru, and the sites sound unbelievable. I've never seen the Maya and the Mayan cities. Hmm. And then I've spent a lot of my time in the Middle East, where political divisions make it possible to go some places and not others. And the idea of a Middle East where one could just travel around and see all of the cultures and all of the history of that region, instead of being kind of blocked by all of the political tensions today, I think that would be my, you know, my dream come true scenario. Unfortunately, I'm not terribly optimistic that that, that will happen in my days. Well, we can always hope that maybe that's where where the future gets us, right? Where we have the opportunity to go looking for the time capsules uh, of the world that are hidden for us all over the place. Um, yeah, there's it, it's it's interesting. I, it makes me think of um, the the you know Nordic communities. It makes me think of I don't know why Ireland comes to mind, Denmark comes to mind, you know, up there. Plus, then there's everything that's that's far down south too, like you said, of South Africa. And, what a history that's there. You said that there was, in the very beginning of this conversation, Michael, you said when you're in Israel, you just can't escape the connection to the past. Is that just something that's deeply woven inside you? Is that the feeling that you search for now is to find that grounded connection? Yeah, I think that there's there's a richness around us that... Um, that's everywhere. So we're talking about traveling to, you know, faraway places, but it's it's everywhere around us. And over time, that's come to add a lot to my life. I like seeing those things. You know, so in Toronto, I love, you know, on the sidewalks, you see the sewer cover from the 1880s. Now that makes my day, you know, that's really this, you know, it's really great. And, um, this sense of um, of connection to place. I, I think I feel that very strongly in Israel because of my heritage, because of the way I, I grew up. But I think it's something that a lot of people search for, and that's kind of a grounding, um, a grounding that's very valuable. And there's also a pleasure to discovering things. You know, even if you're not the first person in the world to discover it, you know, that you suddenly understand why things are the way they are and that there's a historic dimension to that. You know, you know, even very simple things like the layout of our streets or um, aspects of our physical environment in Toronto, there's something very pleasurable about understanding how, for me, it's kind of how the human, how human history and human activity kind of gets woven into the natural world, that they're, that they kind of come together. So, 
yeah, I think I do look for that and that I do enjoy that a lot. Um, you know, it, it's, and, but I think that's something true of most people. There's something really great there when you can, can make these connections. And an unexplainable connection it is too. There's an intersection in St. Catharines, Ontario, when I used to live there that has five streets. And it always makes, every time I used to drive through that intersection, it always used to make me wonder who screwed this up so bad or what changed from the original plan to the point that this happened. And, and that's always curious to me so much so that every time I go back to visit friends, I drive that intersection on purpose. So, you know, again, welcome to now. And isn't that a curious, isn't that a curious notion? The, the notion of now, um, Michael, I want to acknowledge a couple of things that you've, you've offered me today. You've offered me uh, a whole new lens of gratitude to look at some of these stories, like the manhole cover, as you described it. That there's an awful lot that we can experience of, huh, when we just look from that place of curiosity and just observe and be present to everything that's going around us. And that's the simple stuff that's in front of us every day. So I feel your compassion. I feel your love for it. I feel your passion for your work. And you shared that with us today. And I, it does make me feel particularly grounded that this curiosity of the past that I carry, for me, it's castles. I find this um, remarkably intriguing. So thank you very much. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Shane. It's the Shift Podcast. Solocore.com, S-O-L-O-C-O-R-P-S.com. Blaine, I was thinking that there was we could really use some technology to help us sort out um, this Groundhog Day effect that we're going through um, of day after day of what day is it today? And then I realized, oh, yeah, they have calendars. Already invented that. Those yeah, Mayans. calendars, they were around long before while well, they were yeah. the original technology. Well, they technically ended, if you ask the Aztecs. I mean, the Mayan calendar like ended, didn't it? Like we've already hit the end of that one, so that's. No I don't help. think I don't think it ends. It 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 is reborn. It one Ooh. calendar ends, a new one begins. Sounds like a video game idea, right there. That's what that sounds like. How are you, Blake Kylo? I'm well, thank you. Um, where do you want to start here on the technological world? It's been a busy, busy, busy uh, couple of weeks here around Apple, and then of course Samsung's got to release new things because Apple said there's new things. Um, yeah, there's there's so much Apple going on. I think I think we need to start with the the new app tracking transparency that people are witnessing as they upgrade their phones to OS, iOS fourteen point five. Mm-hmm. Because this is new. This is Apple doubling down on um, personal privacy, and Facebook and others aren't entirely happy about this new thing anybody out there who has updated their operating system on their phones is noticing that when you try and launch some platforms or apps like your facebook app you're getting a little notification saying do you 
explicitly give permission to this app to track you across the internet and across the different apps that you use on your phone. This is very new and it's quite significant. Facebook has always operated with an opt out philosophy. So they assume that they've got your permission to track you everywhere unless you tell them differently. And now Apple is saying, well, let's flip that. Let's make it opt in. So you actually have, you can't track people unless people actually say, yes, I give you permission to track me. And Facebook is worried that they're going to lose lots of people because their business model relies on them tracking you across apps and across the internet so that they can target you and then use that information with advertisers. Okay. Tinfoil hat time, Blaine Kylo. Okay. Do you think this has, you have to think this has anything to do with privacy or is this competition for dollars? Because I have a sneaking suspicion Apple is squeezing other companies for revenue. Why, why can't it be both? Maybe it is both. I think it is both. I mean, Apple, right back to the days of Steve Jobs, when he was around and in control, he was very much about personal privacy and about consumers having the power in these relationships. And I don't think that anybody would deny that Facebook and other organizations have um, kind of behind the scenes without us really realizing the impact that they were having, um, have not given us that kind of power. They've taken that away from us. And Apple's question is very simple. If people don't want to be tracked, you should not track them. And at the core, that's all that app tracking transparency does. If you want to be tracked and you want to have targeted ads that make being on the internet and being on these apps a better experience for you, you can choose to do that. You can choose to have the same life that you've got now. All Apple is doing is saying, ask for permission. The fact that Facebook doesn't want to ask for permission tells me something. That could be the biggest indicator of all that um, uh, about what's, what's going on there. And in all fairness on Facebook, I mean, they do give you the options to control your privacy, but you have to dig through so many levels on the website, let alone trying to navigate it on the app, um, that it's, it's yeah, not but they easy. Don't, they don't give you control over your privacy. They give you control over your information, but they do not give you a way to say, please do not track me when I go from one site to another. This is what Facebook is actually doing, right? If you're on Facebook, if you want to track me on Facebook, that's fine because I'm on Facebook. I'm on your platform, but Facebook is actually tracking you after you leave Facebook and you go to Amazon or you go to the diaper store or you go to whatever else it is that you're doing online and on your phone with those apps, Facebook is tracking you in all of those places as well. That's what I don't think people recognize. So everyone just sit with what Blaine Kyla just said there for one second. You know that website you went to after you were on the Facebook website? Facebook knows you went there. And they're sharing that, that information mind. with people. 
with with companies that pay them money. So is Apple going to benefit from this? Of course, Apple's going to benefit from this because Apple is also in the selling ads business. And if you're in the Apple ecosystem, it's going to make it easier for Apple to sell ads to you in their ecosystem. But that doesn't change. But Apple also has to follow the same rules that they've got for everybody else. They can't track you either because they're not letting anybody else track. So it's a level playing field from that perspective. It'll be interesting to see what comes of it. Blaine Kylo at SoloCore. If you want to check it out, um, follow him on the Twitter. That's a good way to keep in touch with all of the things. Okay, uh, Samsung or more Apple? Which way do you want to go? Let's take a break and do Samsung, and we'll come back to Apple products. Okay. Um, Samsung had a press briefing today, and they've got these fancy new Galaxy laptops, the Galaxy Book Pro and the Galaxy Book Pro 360. They each come in 13 and 15 inch configurations, and wow, are these things thin and light. Um, all four of the models are under 12 millimeters. That's like almost phone width. Uh, the Pro 13 inch is under two pounds. And the heaviest of them, the Pro 360 15-inch model, is only three pounds. So these are really laptops that you want to carry around with you. They've got wicked screens on them. So the AMOLED or the Super AMOLED screens. So these are things that you're going to want to watch movies on. And the Galaxy Book Pro 360 is one of these things where you can fold it completely in half and turn it into a tablet. And its screen is a touch screen that works with the new S Pen from Samsung. And so you can use it to draw on or to take notes on and to watch movies on. Uh, pretty fancy, lightweight systems from Samsung. And so thin, when you think of the HDMI cord, that cord you plug in your cable box to your TV, it literally has barely enough room for that. Barely. That's yeah. remarca remarkable. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, um, products. Um, the new Apple TV 4K uh, has got a new feature in it, a color balance feature. And what that means is you can turn your TV on and use your iPhone to balance out the color settings for your TV. And more importantly, Apple says, Apple TV then will configure the signal that it sends to your TV based on what your TV does so that you're getting the best experience from that TV. So there's a couple of levels of um, tweaking going on of the color settings to make sure that you're getting the best picture possible. Also a new Siri remote with a circular click pad that supports touch control. Um, people have been complaining about the last remote. So hopefully the new Siri remote for the new Apple TV 4K is going to be better. I use Find My all the time because I use yeah. it to find my I use it to find my children um, which is actually a pretty great way to use it to find your kids uh, yep. no, it doesn't give you the I wish it gave you the speed they were moving at because for driving that would be amazing for me but that's really the only thing that's kind of missing from that what else is new there well find my is a service that the way this works for Apple is it leverages all the Apple devices in the world and so it's this massive mesh network that's created from all of the devices that are out there. So you can, it's built into all of your mobile devices, your iPhones, your iPads. Um, Apple has opened up the Find My service to 
other manufacturers. So Belkin has got true wireless earbuds, the Soundform Freedoms. They now are going to be findable with the Find My app because they are leveraging that service from Apple. This is also is what is making the AirTags, the new product that was announced by Apple last week, so cool because the AirTags, this little um, stainless steel puck, uses Find My, and you can attach an AirTag with these different accessories to pretty much anything, a briefcase, a backpack, your keychain. Um, you can attach AirTags to anything, and then you can use the Find My to find the keys that you've lost, or the phone that somebody's taken away, or the backpack that your kid left on the bus, and you don't know where that is. Anywhere in the world, you can find the things that you have lost or misplaced with AirTags. They cost $39 each. You can get a four-pack for $129. Pretty good Mother's so, Day gift. Uh, so, oh, look at that. Um, mm. Especially if you have a forgetful mother or if you lost her. That'd come if in handy. If you lost your mother, yes. Yeah. So it's... um so. Yeah, there's no reason to not call your mother now, right? Because you're like, not only do you know uh, where I am, but you have my phone number, son. Phone me. Um, so yeah, so like if if my if my uh, you know thing that I was lost happened to be in your house, that means that your phone would let me know where it is. Your phone would let you know that it was at my house. You could use my phone to sign into your account to find the thing that was lost at my house. Very cool. So it's tied to your Apple account. One of the things that people are concerned about is what's gonna to happen to companies like Tile, which actually created this business years ago. Back in 2017, I was writing about Tile. And Tile are exactly these same things. Tile uses Bluetooth and its own app to be able to track things that have Tile's tag to them. And I think that Tile is going to be just fine, actually, because they've got a range of different products that work with all kinds of devices, not just iOS devices. They've got a real cool thin one that you can actually slip into passports and wallets and things like that, so that if you lose your wallet, you can find it. And I think what Apple would like to see is, well, why doesn't Tile just take advantage of the Find My service for its Apple-related products? And then you get the best of both worlds. They can almost double dip. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, all right. Can't get a PlayStation, but can get some amazing games. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I get calls every couple of days from people saying, do you know how I can get a PlayStation? Do you know how I can get a PS5 or an Xbox One X? Um, and the truth is the semiconductor shortage is worldwide and it persists. So you're just going to have to stay on that refresh um, button on your computer and keep checking the stock as it comes up. But if you have a PS4, you can play Horizon Zero Dawn for free. Now, this is one of the best games ever made. Um, it's being given away by PlayStation in part because Horizon Forbidden West from the developer Guerrilla Games is scheduled for release later this year. It's a little pre-promo. What do you think of those? Um, those there are some stock websites to follow those things. I mean, if you do a little googling, you can find some some stock websites and search PlayStation Five, and it'll bring up even well, Superstore. I don't know if they carry them anymore, but really strange stores that carry video games 
that you didn't even think of that might have one or two around. Uh, have you ever used those? There have been a couple that I have looked at. I, and again, I haven't been spending a lot of time trying to keep track of stock because it's so hard to find right now. Um, but I do know that you will occasionally, and again, you can't really go into stores in the same way anymore. So this doesn't work in the same way, but you used to walk into shoppers drug marts and they would have different tech sort of behind the counter and up on shelves. Mm -hmm. And this is how a lot of people actually found Nintendo, um, Wii's and we use when they first came out and they were hard to find. People were finding them in shoppers drug marts and uh, little independent uh, electronic stores. The world's changed a lot in the past sort of five to 10 years. So we don't even have competing electronic stores anymore. I used to have uh, Future Shop and Best Buy, and now it's kind of all Best Buy. So there's just not as many outlets to get them at anymore. Um, really, your your best bet is to just keep refreshing the pages um, of the digital storefronts. Blaine Kylo at Solo Core Technological World. Thanks, Blainer. You're welcome. Have fun. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.